Welcome to Productivity Mastery. Stoy here, a productivity and performance coach on a mission to help businesses and people get the most out of their time. On this podcast, I'll bring you exceptional performers and together unlock what it takes to perform at your highest level. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this episode. So you might not have heard that, but uh, Sergio just said, uh, let's go and, and we're good to go. Sergio, how are you this morning? Uh, I'm, 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 I'm a bit shocked that I'm here with you guys and I still don't know for sure what we're going to talk about. Uh, and I still have a number of things that are waiting for me after that. So I'm really curious. I hope there are also some other people that are curious about what's going to happen. So, uh, yeah. I, think I love it. Way. And since we since we're starting on the honest side, uh, Sergio, can you share just for the to keep it real, what's on your mind these days? You know, uh, entrepreneur doing stuff. What are some things that you you're trying to solve these days? Yeah, the no, normal entrepreneur stuff. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it would work that the thing that we are going through, and which is you know the choices that we have to make, and sound this sounds very philosophical and very deep, but at the end of the day is so how do i plan the next funding round planning is one thing reality is another thing do i have some possibility of a bridge that would push the round a bit later get big, bigger numbers get a bigger round in the meantime of course how do i go about you know hiring a cfo because i'm still so late in the process and i need some extra structure in the numbers and in the meantime of course of will i go to the states for this conference in two weeks from now or will it that eat too much time out of my time in order to do uh, anything else and hey by the way where is my family in all this have when, when, when is the last time that i've met them are they alive and <laughs> you know and uh, no i'm kidding I, I, but i you know uh it's like uh, i need to go tomorrow and come back tomorrow to london which is like like from four in the morning to post midnight and do I have any plan for the weekend? Is the weekend to work or the weekend to 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 do something that is that is nice? So it's all this uh, avalanche of things. And in the meantime, of course, because this is starting to become a bigger organization, there is a lot of things that gets thrown at you, and you still have to do something with all the things that you know uh, uh, get thrown at you because otherwise you would you wouldn't survive. So yeah, that's uh, juggling. In the middle of all this, Stoyan is asking you to come to his podcast and, and share some thoughts. So no, but I, I love I it. love I love uh, <laughs> coming coming to your post, uh, um, uh, podcast and uh, and talking to you because I think it's I think you know people that are there starting companies and looking at what is important and what's not important. Uh, I think they they need a bit of um, uh, <clears throat> visibility of what other people in their shoes have been doing or are doing now and you know we, we need the you know this um what this entre entrepreneurs anonymous kind of group of <laughs> support group where we have to support each other to some extent and hey it's okay we are gonna survive you can do it yeah it's that, that kind and, of and you're smiling you're smiling Sergio but I but I do think we we do not talk enough about the real stuff mm. and, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on and one of the reasons we we have featured you as well in in our book, perform very good book, very good book. True about startup success. Thank you so much. Uh, by the way, for those of you who are listening, Sergio contributed uh, with the opening quote. We actually had a 
like an hour, half an hour interview. I ask him all these questions about culture and how do you build a team and so on. And, and we incorporated some of the learnings, but I was like, give me a quote, man. Give me something that's, you know, because I know you are a no BS person. You, you tell things as they are. And, and I'm going to read the quote. And I think we want to start, we can maybe start from there. The quote was, the everyday life of an entrepreneur is digging a muddy trench. There's little, very little glamour. Three things are essential. Dig further every day. Rise up for a helicopter view every month. Celebrate every success every time. And then one can move ahead and graciously bear all the blood, sweat, and sorrow. Mm, that sounds very deep, man. <laughs> are you sure I said it? <laughs> <laughs> okay no but but I, but i'm actually can you actually maybe elaborate on that i mean um, yeah and well, talking about the, the real journey right like why yeah. did you decide to actually send me this quote uh uh you know talking about the, i mean I think, it's not mm -hmm. <laughs> i think we are um we we are living uh, surrounded by by stories you know uh, there's uh real stories real stories and but there then you, you never get the real part of the story you always get the story as it is told by the people that have seen it by the people that applauded from the side and and, and stuff like that and i i had this impression as i'm you know getting to be a entrepreneur and build a company that shit, it looked a lot nicer when you saw it on the the in, in the stories of these great guys that have achieved great success and it's all about you know wow this is so powerful but it's very little told about all the hard work and all the sacrifices and all the pain and all the uncertainty that you have to bear with throughout the process and what can you do to survive in this uh, in, in in this context to survive as a human as an optimistic keep your morale and you know be be there for the other people because at the end of the day you're you're going to support an entire organization and you have to be their anchor of certainty when shit happens because shit happens it's a startup always shit happens so i think that's that's where i i wanted to to reflect a little bit and say hey guys it's it's not, you know, all glamour and beauty and, uh, you know, the spotlight of the cameras and success. Uh, eventually, a bit, a bit, a bit of that might come at some point. But you actually have to love what you're doing when digging that muddy trench. And you have to have this balanced view and reflect on what you're doing, why you're doing what you're doing and be there present with your mind in order to, uh, to, to, to drive things further in an intelligent way. You know? And intelligent way is an absolute must because as a, as a startup, you don't have all the resources to do everything. And because of that, you have to choose. And choosing which trench do you dig and which, where do you build a bridge, where do you put stairs and stuff like that can't be done while you're digging. It needs this mental break. And then, of course, because it's so muddy and, you know, uh, wet and cold and everything that you can uh, uh, talk about and so intense, I think it's important to take a break every now and then. Not for you. That's very interesting. If you're an entrepreneur, not for you, you take the break. You take the break for your team. 
to acknowledge the progress, to acknowledge and celebrate what has happened. Because otherwise, you know, people get um, exhausted. Yeah? Get exhausted, and not you, not the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur doesn't get exhausted. The entrepreneur is a superhuman, as you have read from all the books and you have listened to all the podcasts, sure. But the other guys need to see that you have achieved something. The other guys need to celebrate. You need to celebrate with them. So I think that's, uh, that's where, I'm, where I'm coming from. Yeah, and thank you for reminding us that it's not just about us being peak performers and doing the best that we can, but we should always put in the equation, how, how do my actions and behaviors affect the team and everybody that is around me? Uh, even if that could be shorter and very productive to do, would that be actually smart to do in terms of the bigger picture? And like always kind of being aware about the, the team, the partners, everybody that's part of the whole journey. But Sergio, tell us a, a little bit, and I'm sure some people who are especially in the region who are following what's going on, they know about FinTech OS, but could you maybe give us a perspective around, you know, how big is the company these days? When did you guys start? Oh. And actually, actually, why did you start? You've been a, quite a successful business person working for, for different companies and you know, how did you... Yeah, man, I asked just... my, ask myself the same question. Why did I... <laughs> um, had a good life. Yeah, but I have, I, exactly. I had, a, I had a good life, you know. I was a, a sort of very independent consultant, lecturer, board advisor, angel investor. So everything was, you know, well lined up for me. Making enough cash to pay my bills, making enough investments to have some extra, some, some, some good results getting some uh, good intent. Suddenly, suddenly, I don't know what happened, and I got into this uh, situation. Um, yeah, uh, no, I, I know what happened. I, um, and I think it's a bit, it's a bit of a construct and a bit of, uh, of uh, luck, uh, or bad luck, it depends. But it's a, a, so a bit, a bit of uh, planning and a bit of serendipity in, uh, in, in, in getting where, where we are now. The bit, my bit of plan was that I was... Uh, trying to get closer and closer to real technology business, real product technology business. And I did that like quite, quite programmatically over the last, I don't know, 10 years in trying to identify um, uh, initially like uh, business opportunities, but also seeking back in my heart the, uh, the, the, the opportunity to go back in the driving seat, go back into building something, uh, not only in, if you want, advising from the board. Because as after a few years of being outside of the battle, so to speak, being just a, uh, you know, a, a general at the strategy table, but not, not, uh, not getting into the war, you kind of become a bit more theoretical about things. So you think some things can be done a lot easier than they actually are when you deal with like real people in a real market with real customers and so on. So it was that that part was was planned. What was the uh, so it's you know uh, uh, was meeting the serendipity moment uh, because you, you know serendipity is like a, a train that comes at a railway station and passes. You can hop on the train, but you have to be at the train station for that. If you don't go to the train station, you can't find, you can't catch the train ever. So that's the part with you know getting ready for some, for what happens. So what happened is that I met uh, Tio Blidarush, and I met Tio Blidarush when on on a on an opportunity that did not sound so glamorous. 
it was at the, at the train uh, station. Yeah, yeah, it, it it was exactly it was the train station looked like a train station looked like didn't look like a you know a, a unicorn barn yeah <clears throat> so um, what we uh, what what we had as a as a first meeting was okay a possibility for me to uh, become partner with him in his previous business which was a very standard Eastern European outsourcing business of course with some touches of originality differentiation and so on but it was still. A, a, an outsourcing business uh, as you know probably hundreds of entrepreneurs in the region uh, uh, have built but it was clear for both of us from the moment that we started uh, working together that th that was not the, the end game that we were not partnered together in that company to be partners together in that company but in order to have a base to build upon as a next level and the next level came when we started to incubate this idea of a platform that would massively accelerate the technology uh, development for financial institutions. And we had some ideas. I mean, he had some ideas, amazing product ideas on how to put this together. And I was constantly saying, look, but this is not the kind of product that you can incubate in a 200 people outsourcing firm. This is the kind of product that you launch with a handful of people and you get VC financing and you get more VC financing and you build more and you hire more and you get more VC financing and you build more and you hire more and you sell more and so on. And it's, it can go, grow so fast if you look at what is happening with you know, other successful technology companies. And one day, um, and that was in the summer of 2017, so uh, less than five years ago, he said, look, I'm going to quit this the other company that, that, uh, where, where he was basically the GM. <laughs> you know? I'm going to quit. Do you join me to start this as a fully blown new entity that would do this product, FintechOS? It took me a long 20 seconds to say yes. <clears throat> we had a few beers more after that uh, happy moment of decision. <laughs> And you really rest, thought it through, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the rest is the the, the rest is what, what what we've seen today. So you know, fast forward four years and a few months later, because we, we incorporated at the end of 2017, and we now a bit we have now a bit more than four years of history. We are, I would say, maybe 450 today is as number of people. We are uh, we got a Series B of 60 million last year. Um, a total funding of maybe I would call 95 million so far, if I include some 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 debt and so on, and uh, we are on track to you know get a Series C probably next year, and uh, you know that have that round a number of times larger than the previous ones and everything uh, as as aligned. Of course, if the world doesn't collapse in the meantime, uh, <clears throat> now. The thing is, we we were we were again a bit uh, uh, lucky to see when we enter the market. You know, you enter with the market always with an idea, and you're trying to pivot into something that the market needs from 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 that initial concept, that initial MVP. We were lucky to see that what we are trying to do, the approach that we have on. Again, building technology for the financial sector is different than what other bigger companies that were there earlier have done. It's different in a way that makes the, this production of solutions for the financial sector 
makes it a lot faster and a lot more agile, a lot uh, more flexible, a lot more what everybody is, is looking for, future proof. And this is because what we are, our, our approach to it is first, you have to have super fast, super, super, super high pro productivity. You can't go and write code anymore. That is too slow. That is too slow. And you, you, if you want to have, even if you want to have, you're, you're saying you're, a, you're an existing bank, let's say, and you have 30, 40 software providers, most of them SaaS, most of them with new releases and stuff. And you have to continuously, ar continuously arbitrate and integrate more and ensure the automation flows and make sure that you have a single customer view. It's bloody complex and it doesn't work if you do it you know, with programming. It's too slow. You don't have that, that, that power. Okay, so how about reinventing it and using no code and using pre-built solutions and using product designers and using um, data connectors and in order to accelerate that part as much and let the business people focus on the business. And then uh, if you want to streamline that transformation of the business concepts, business flows, customer experiences into the reality that is facilitated by technology. So we managed to do that. And at the same time, we also realized that in the space that we are in, this thing of being at the same time the platform and the integrated vertical solutions is something that other people don't do. The industry is still enslaved by this extra siloed uh, solutions. You have a vertical solution for SME lending. You have a vertical solution for um, loan origination, you have a vertical solution for I don't know what. It's plenty of vertical solutions. Or you have very layered uh, SaaS uh, things. You have, a, uh, you know, digital engagement uh, uh, solutions that are used to build apps. You have automation middlewares that are used to build processes. And you have core systems that are there to stay forever. Yeah. Well, why is that? I mean, if you look at the new players, you look at Revolut, do they actually think like that? No, they think of customer experience and whatever software I can assemble that will fit into a better customer experience. So how about we create that machine that delivers, delivers that customer experience and not at the superficial level, not the shiny screen, but the full-blown process that allows integration and so on. So if we build that machine and we built that machine and we are building continuously on that machine, then probably there is an angle for us into this big industry of financial services that we can claim. And we're claiming it. And we're claiming it with uh, quite an impressive success so far. Of course, I'm frustrated that the success isn't larger, that not everybody on the street says, hey, guys, it's FintechOS. I'm so happy that you finally exist. It, it, it doesn't happen quite like that. We still, it's still enterprise sales. So you still have to go there and, you know, meet clients and you tell them why you think, you know, the, the automobile is better than a carriage. Really? You know, and, and that's, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a, uh, there's a lot of discussions over there, but I think we are, we're on, on the right track and, you know, the numbers and what is happening in the market and the fundraise and the results of the, the, of the clients get show that we have some level of success that kind of makes me optimistic. So, <clears throat> Yeah, absolutely, Sergio. And for me, being in the startup environment, working with many startups, uh, seems like you guys are doing something right, like in less than five years, uh, with the traction, the success and achievement that uh, you've, uh, you've achieved so far. 
Um, so congratulations on that. But again, we both know this is just uh, like a stepping stone, right? And then there's this quite ahead in the journey ahead. But I want to go back a little bit. There's many early stage founders who are listening to the podcast. And I'm sure they will appreciate uh, all of these lessons and learnings that you're sharing. But I remember listening to a podcast that you did and you mentioned, um, I'm going to quote you here. There is a tiny difference between vision and hallucination. Can you, can you talk to me about that? I think many of the early stage followers okay, love okay, to hear okay, yeah. the... Look, I think this this is this is very authentic, and it's it's not actually my quote. I, I quoted some some somebody else. I quoted my partner Theo Blibarush in this because at the at the very early stages, you have a vision, you have a sort of a vision, and you know the the, the reality check is you you talk to people and you see it because and, and we had a number of quite a number of these your uh, early stage discussions. Uh, founder to founder, and uh, it was um, everything around. Look, I have this. Thing in my mind, and I cannot be sure if it's vision or hallucination. What do you think? You know, um, and because you can always, you know, what do they say? You can always connect the dots backwards. Yeah, backwards. It looks like wow, it has been this amazing vision, and it was so clearly step by step uh, uh, implemented. But it's never that clear at that moment where you're actually uh, debating and some things are just a little hallucination and you get fix you get to fix them around the in in um, in in time it's the if you want is the test of implementation is the test of execution that makes the difference if you have a dream that is seems a bit out of this world it can be a vision if you can execute it it can be a hallucination if you can't and nobody else can. And Sergio, where is the sweet spot between having ambitious, audacious goals and at the same time not going too far, but being actually practical and realistic about what 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 are we capable to? Uh, look, I don't, I don't, I don't really have an answer. Uh, to that, and I think no one has. But I tend to see that people that have achieved greater success, those accidents that we look up to, uh, either they have been extremely, extremely lucky, like you know, they, the 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 luck, you know, that poured on on them and formed the mountain around them and submerged them into that much luck, um, or they were ex abnormally audacious and they got it right. Abnormally, abnormally ambitious, abnormally high expectation of themselves and people around them. Which is a bit annoying, you know, because it means, hey, I can, the, the, the higher the expectations, the higher the ambition, the higher the chances of failure, right? So the smaller the percentage of making it into that bracket if you want and this is if you want uh, i'm going to be very philosophical now luckily my gray beard helps so <laughs> you realize that so many people that you meet in your career get to a cozy spot in their career where things work fine for them and 
everything is kind of aligned, they are reasonably successful, and they are at the point where they can grow 10% per year, I don't know, in money, in career, in image, in whatever, plateau, and be happy. Most of the people take that opportunity. They don't jump out of their comfort zone to challenge themselves to risk losing that sweet spot in favor of something much greater. Now, the guys that I'm talking about, they don't give a shit. You know? They are happy and ready to lose that sweet spot, even if that sweet spot is amazing, uh, in order to challenge themselves and get to a much higher level, to a much higher uh, potential and, and so on. The people that are able to do that are challenging themselves on how much faster can this thing grow, not on how do I manage this in order not to lose what I gained. People, are much, people like this are much more focused on their ambition, and that ambition is very dynamic and always grows faster than the reality. And in pursuing that ambition, rather than, you know, if what, you know, keeping a, a status quo and improving it gradually. So while if we would all do that as a society, I think it would be catastrophic. Uh, for for our lives because the, the failure rate is too high and you know the, the, there is not enough stability in the economy if you build it like that at the same time i can't stop from seeing that many entrepreneurs many early stage entrepreneurs you know many early stage entrepreneurs would have a much higher chance of success if they would be more risky and be more aggressive about fundraise, be more aggressive about hiring absurdly expensive resources in order to expand much, much faster, in both on the product side and on the go-to-market side, and uh, in presence in markets where they don't necessarily have a, a, an, an initial base, and approach all that expansion without that much of a safety net at, at, at much higher speed with much higher risk. Now, beware. I'm not sure this is what I preach. This is what I observe. I'm not sure this is good for everyone. I'm, I think this is good only for some that can live with the idea, yeah, I tried, but I failed. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure if for each of the early stage entrepreneur, the route is get more risk, spend more money, raise more money, either you know, make it or break it. Because there is a make it zone that is cozy and good that is waiting for you, and you might find yourself happier in that you know, cozier place. Thank you so much, Erich. This, this, is, this is awesome, man. Um... I can I cannot relate anymore, especially from somebody growing also in the region we like to call in the book uh, New Europe, in Central Eastern Europe. Um, I I cannot say that uh, when I was growing up, uh, kind of the mentality was like dream big, be ambitious. Like it was more like study get hard, a job. <laughs> get a job, work hard, you know, be consistent. Like but but nobody was teaching us in the educational system or like you, you got to dream big, you got to set big goals. Um, 
but but I do agree. It's it's really it's really about self awareness. Like you can have a nice business, small business, growing slowly in a nice way, and and have a cozy life, and you know maybe spend more time with a family if that's what you like to do. Um, but but I think it's also quite interesting, and I do that often in my workshops before we we go with the founders to to set goals and to to you know to to explore different uh, goal setting techniques and tools i want to challenge them a little bit and i'm like okay uh, let's hear what's your goal for the quarter the yeah. top goal the number one and then somebody shares a number or like we want to get uh, this number of users uh, so on i'm like okay let's just play with it what would be the 10 times bigger yeah exactly what would be the 10 times bigger yeah what would be the 10 times bigger let's yeah. say and if you, if you can't a... do it who could do it and how can you partner with those guys and what what would be the bridge that would take you here from the, the if there was a way to do it how would it be done you know and, and i think that's that's absolutely absolutely the thing you know and uh, yeah then there is also the defensive position i used to i used to um, you know, coming back to the region, if you want, and what uh, what what being an entrepreneur in the region is, I used to to say that uh, who who is the the strongest enemy of entrepreneurship in in this region, and or in in my country, and you know, people would automatically jump off on, on the government. Ah, it's the government. It's the system. You know that, that, that. But no, no, the strongest enemy of entrepreneurship is a <clears throat> superpower entity. It's called mother. You know that asks every young guy in his career what are you doing are you getting a job why don't you get a job a safe job the bank or with the government yeah where you get a good salary and you have safety and you can build everything that you can control yeah. so. <laughs> no I, I definitely agree just to get back to the um to what we exploring with this exercise and to the words that you said because i i think it's not necessarily okay. Let's say you you're early stage founder. You're like my goal for the quarter is to make uh, twenty thousand euro in revenue. Okay, mm -hmm. all right. Uh, what would be the ten x of this goal? Well, ten times more, right? Two hundred thousand. Okay, good. What has to happen, as you said? What what do I have to change in the way I do things? How do I have to address uh, customers differently? Should should we change the product and the way we do things? Should we have like what do we have to do? It doesn't mean you have to commit to this 10 times bigger goal, but the discussions that you have during this strategy session might tell you what are the two, three, four things we should really focus on if we want to grow. And what do we have to say no to? And I think that's the beauty. You, you can still say, well, maybe, you, you know what, let's, let's align on, we, we go for 40K instead of 20 or like you, you find where it is, right? But yeah, it could I'll, be a really productive I'll take it, I'll discussion. Take it further. Mm -hmm. I'll take it yep. further, Stoyan, into saying that if you want to do this high growth uh, stuff, you have to have clear visibility over your 10x. You have to be able to visualize and operationalize your 10x easily. Easily. 10 times more than what you are today. 10 times more ARR, MRR, name it. 10 times number of clients, 10 times something. Okay, you have to be able to visualize and operationalize and you have a concrete plan that is not for the next 20 years, but is for the next three at most, how to achieve that, that 10x. You know, uh, we, are, we are not no longer that early stage. We are in between series B and C. So we are 
at some level of maturity and we still make sure that we have clear visibility about what 10x looks like and a, a route, the route the draw the clear route to 10x and what does this mean in terms of investment of resources or what we expect to happen of in terms of positioning in the market in terms of markets that we need to open in and so on but everything is an operational plan to the to to, to, to the 10x yeah it's not a full blown pnl necessarily but it is a very strong operational plan that would can can get can um, uh, get us there and even more so because 10x is easier when you start from a smaller number yeah, even more so at, uh, at an earlier stage, making a 10x plan that would be possible under, cer under certain circumstances within 12 to 18 months is something I think that needs to, you, you need to spend time on, uh, co constantly questioning, is there another way that, you know, this business or a business that is not this, but is very, very similar with this and starts with from this can get to in uh, you know, much shorter period of time, much faster, much, big, much bigger. Just curious now, if you, if you go back in time in the early days of the company, would you would you advise yourself to be more ambitious or, or less ambitious with the goals and the visions? <laughs> um, I'd I'd say we have the right mix in the company right now. I, I'd say we always had the right mix in the company uh, at the time. I think that if we were more ambitious at the very early stage, it might have been hallucination. Um, I'd say we, we were all in all the time and always expanding faster than the resources that we had even when we started to get more and more resources and, you know, raising more and more money. So um, there are times when, of course, we made some mistakes, everybody does. Uh, and when, yeah, had we gone slower, we would have not wasted some money, you know. Um, but you can't really plan for that all the time. So I'd say we got it mostly right with times when we were overbidding and because we were overbidding, we overspent and wasted some, wasted some resources. And with times when we were not getting perhaps enough resources of, we're not realistic about how much bigger this can get. In the early stage, it wasn't clear for us that, you know, within, I don't know, five years, we would be at a stage where, you know, people look us at, uh, you know, some, uh, something that kind of looks like a, like a potential unicorn. Yeah, we, we, we didn't see it happening so fast in terms of money, but we always brought, recalibrated our ambition based on the current stage at the, you know, 10x, 20x and, and, and so on. So I think there is a, there is a thing about ambition now that I'm, trying to question myself after you after you questioned me I'm trying to question myself there is always a, a thing about ambition that needs to be dynamic yeah I am um, at, at the beginning I think you know one of after we started fintech West I went to Tio's house at one day with a very nice expensive bottle of wine and because we were it was you know a summer thing or we we're having beers or something like that it wasn't for the expensive red wine we said let 
let's drink this when the company is worth $10 million. Well, the time when we reached the apparent valuation of 10 million like passed, and I think we had that bottle of wine when the company was like 30 or $50 million in, in, in real evaluation, because we, it, it was going so fast that we didn't have the time to, 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 to meet together and you have to have a proper uh, bottle of good wine and, and, and so on in the, in, the, in the context. So I think, it, and this is about you know, keeping this moving target of what success is. That's a great story, Sergio. Like, you know, it's the company's already 50 million. Like, okay, let's, let's drink that bottle because, you know, yeah. we need to set up so the next. <laughs> the wine gets too old, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's playing in your favor. So that's, uh, but, but tell me, tell me about, and I think that's, that's something many, many people will benefit from is even in early stages, people are struggling with, with, finding the right people, building the right culture. And I don't know, you tell me, but I hear only good stuff about the culture in FinTech OS, not from FinTech OS people, but like generally that's a, that's a good name about it, which is how do you, how do you build a company in such a short period with 450 people with, with a, with a common culture and guys, at the time we are recording about this podcast is 2022, the beginning, the last couple of years, restrictions, global pandemic, you don't really meet people so much as, as we used to be and give them hugs and high fives and have conversations by the coffee machine, right? So, so how, what did you guys do? Like, and you can maybe tell us more about it. Uh, you know, how's the culture? How did you guys define it? And how do you make sure in such a fast hiring rate, you keep the core of the culture. Okay. Um, culture, culture is a very, <clears throat> is a living animal, you know, an, an animal that has its own life. So whenever you think of culture as being a domestic animal, I think you fail because it's a, it's, it's bloody wild and it's, it's, it's a beast, the beast of having, having its, its own life. So it can be, just slightly tamed but it's there it's real it happens in the organization and the very simple summary of culture is what people talk among themselves when none of the bosses is around about the company you know what people consider to be reasonable acceptable inspiring when none of the bosses are around you know and when you show up that reality gets distorted and your perception as a boss of the reality gets uh, <laughs> somehow remotely similar to the, to, to the reality, but it's not, not definitely the, the same thing. So culture is real, culture, culture is happening whether you want it or not. And the moment you start talking about it, it's like, um, like, like in quantum physics, you know, the observer changes the reality and Schrodinger's cat dies. You know, just because you looked at it. So um, um, the moment you start focusing on, on culture, you have to be very certain of what you're doing in order not to spoil things. Small companies, smaller than tribe, you know, smaller than the 150 famous uh, thing of uh, Harad mentioned by Harari. Uh, companies of that smaller size have an innate culture that is less structured 
and there's a sort of tribe-based, family-based kind of we do things like that and we are together and we meet each other every day and it's easy. And it's only after that or in the process of reaching that number that you need to structure some things in order to make sure that the reality gets, gets lived beyond the point when you know interacting with the founders, with the entrepreneurs and so on is not possible every day and there isn't that you know flow of uh, whatever. Um, between wisdom and uh, um, I would say um, what makes us natural, what makes us authentic. So uh, something in between that that you, you can interact with every day. So you can't, and, and that's when you you need to put more a lot more structure in it. And this is what we're trying to do now. We never know if it's not too much, if it's not overwhelming. But they, there is a funny thing about the the pandemic because it forced smaller tribes not to interact with one another and to create that culture between people that have interacted more functionally and less fun and natural one with each other. So we're having these meetings, you know, we're a team of 20 and we're having these, team, these teams or Zoom or meet meetings and Yes, we see each other and we are very effective on things that needs to be solved and organized. But there is no chit chat prior to the meeting, no chit chat after the meeting. There is no, there is a lot, it's, it's so easy to, to be passive in a meeting if you don't like it. Yeah, you just withdraw. You just move the other screen, the screen with emails on top of the, of the screen where apparently you're participating in a meeting. You can't do that in a face-to-face -face meeting. Therefore, the face-to-face -face meetings are a lot more intense. So we lost something, and it was a struggle on what you put instead in order to keep people engaged and in order to give people meaning. And frankly, I think the, the way I'm looking at is, you know, try to be authentic, try not to bullshit, keep things real, keep things down to earth, think, put yourself in the shoes of the other. You know, I think that's the put yourself in the shoes of the other and the other won't buy into, you know, whatever nonsense, gibberish, theoretical stuff you would be presenting unless that resonates with them deep inside. So I think if you if you if you keep that, you know, real and authentic and natural, yes, people will work together because it, okay, the moment you start having different layers and planning and over conceptualize and uh, try to get people to do things that they don't feel comfortable doing it in a natural way, they will, funny enough, they won't necessarily reject it explicitly. It will just pass by them and you missed it. Yeah, so that's, I think, the, uh, the thing with the culture. There is another thing that I think we have as a culture in, in Fintech OS, and a lot of these companies that are like us have as a challenge. You need to get people to work together. And the people that need to do that are very, a very special breed. One, they need to be extremely competitive and ambitious because we want to do stuff that, you know, to boldly go where no one has gone before. It wasn't when, when I was much younger. You know? So 
we, you want to do stuff that no one has done before. You want to differentiate to a, you don't just to be, you don't want just to be the best in class. You can't be the best in class. The best in class means doing everybody, doing better what every, everybody else has done. That's not the way to reinvent something. That's not the entrepreneurial way. You have to be different. You have to, to come up with new stuff. Yeah? So there is a level of ambition on the self-challenge and challenge the universe and um, that a, a very competitive nature of people that would want more of, them, of themselves and of the others. And we are obviously seeking for them. Now, the problem with the over-competitive people is that they are also competitive to one another within the team, cutthroat competition, stabbed in their back and stuff like that. And you don't want those kind of people. So you want, you want the kind of people that can work together normally in a team, that have a certain level of modesty, of humility, of learning uh, uh, process, of uh, seeking for the others around them to have success, helping, you know what leadership does, helping the other leaders build their own leadership and have the leadership success and so on so and this is a bit this is a bit of, of a of a you know dilemma of a, a bit of um, dichotomy of the people and the culture that is at the same time very aggressive and very go get things and achieve and at the same time very human and very conscious of us working together and conscious of us achieving success together and bu bu building that, that connection and being uh, you know, respectful and not only respectful, but uh, helping each other to get to the, to, to the success. And this is a, not so easy because very often, you know, the, the guys that are, that are very aggressive would be you know, not caring that much about the other and the guys that care very much about the other wouldn't care that much about the success. So how do you balance between the two? I have no clue, but I'm pretty sure we have to balance between the two. Absolutely. We actually started another podcast, which is called The Leaders Who Care. And it's all about uh, bringing in those kind of leaders that are really empowering this culture where you, you can balance all these two, as, as you say, the, the, the care with the productivity and, and competition and, yeah. and moving forward. And I'm actually curious if you can reflect what worked for you? Where, where do you actually? How do you find and attract these people? I I once worked with uh, with an early stage startup, and uh, the founder, a very ambitious former McKinsey guy, comes to me and, and he says, "Stoyan, how do I motivate people who are consistently underpaid?" Because I mean, when mm, when, when you're building in the early stages of a startup, that's the simplest part. That's the simplest part. Money doesn't mm -hmm. solve. Money money is not even part of the what, equation. What, what do you think? You, know, you can demotivate people, people with money, but you can't motivate people with money. You can motivate mm -hmm. money, people with money on a very short term. And I think that's, uh, that, that's, that's I think, very, very simple. Okay. One thing that I think is important, and perhaps I didn't say it earlier when I was talking about uh, these things, about the, the culture things and what we believe. The what we believe in. Culture is a very toxic word because... In, 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 in many ways, most of the ambitious people would say, ah, it's culture. It's an HR shift now. We are going to you know, talk some, some stuff that has nothing to do. I have but so many things to do. And these guys are asking me now to dream. And blah, blah, blah. It's not that. But as, you know, how can you build that operational effectiveness in your company 
by understanding better what motivates us and what doesn't. By understanding better what are the situations where if we believe in something, we would have the solution coming out from within as opposed to trying to describe in a process, in an operational process, how people should react. At some point earlier in my career, I was working, for instance, I was managing a chain of clinics. I was, you know, uh, building what eventually became the largest chain of clinics in Romania, by the way, um, private clinics. So, and I, I remember the way to describe it was, you know, let, let, let's think of the, you know, the, 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 the janitor that is cleaning and the, the, uh, the floor. Yeah? If they obey the rules, they have to clean from one end to the other and do everything in six hours and then start over again, okay? If they obey the rules. But if patient X in, uh, uh, in, in, in his or her bed is sleeping, perhaps, and you care about, you deeply care as a value about the patient, then you rather than going and cleaning that room at that time, you maybe skip it come back two hours later, although it takes more effort, and do the cleaning without disturbing the patient because you care. You know? So it's a, it's, it's, it's a thing between operational effectiveness and values and what we care for and how we operationalize stuff that, that we have to keep in balance. And I think this is, this is important. This is why you have to, even if you don't prescribe it and don't post it on the walls and do all the, 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 the ridiculous stuff that large organizations sometimes sometimes do and nobody believes in you have to talk about you know who we are and what we care for you know whether you call them values where you okay but you have to talk from time to time in up, up, with the organization with the people with the people that have a stronger voice whether they are or not official managers or leaders in your nascent organization but bring them in the discussion and, you know, let's make, have an agreement of who we are and what we believe in. I think that's, uh, um, uh, that's important. And motivation, especially nowadays, I'm saying especially nowadays as opposed to uh, the end of the 20th century when I started my career. So especially nowadays, I think motivation is so little about money because most of the people uh, that are now active in your companies uh, most of them millennials, some of them already Gen Zs, and uh, even more for so for Gen Zs, they would roll over their eyes and leave if you just bullshit them. And, uh, that's it. So it's not it's not something that uh, you can uh, where you can get away with uh, with uh, half thought, half felt uh, things. The reality is that you have to stay authentic, and you have to have a goal and company goals that resonate with the individual aspirations and individual dreams and individual quest for meaning that people have. And if you, if you think of the, really the, the top performers in, in FinTech OS right now, uh, without saying names, obviously, but is there is that what attracted them to join you at the first time is that what motivates them is that this kind of bigger sense of this bigger purpose that we are serving is really related to my personal quest or is there something else which you believe it may be very it, it may be very different so you you know i i well this is very clear for ngos that are there to sell, save the world where what what you just said you know there's this higher purpose that we all live for and you know, without 
I don't know, stopping the, the, the global warming, you know, there's, and my life doesn't have any meaning, you know? So this kind of thing is very valid there. It's partially valid for us. It's partially valid for us. Some people join, may join you for the bigger purpose, for the, for, for the bigger goal. Some people may join you because it's cool. It's cool to be part of a, of a start of a, of a fast growing startup. Some people may join you because the technology that you're working with is damn interesting and they, they, they love to play with that irrespective for what. Okay. Some people may join you because you're cool and nice people that they want to learn from. Keep this in mind, be that <laughs> cool, nice people that people want to work for. Um, some, some people may, may join you simply because uh, at a certain moment there is, you, you make an extraordinary career opportunity for them. Make an extraordinary career opportunity for them because, okay, if you raise enough money, you can also pay very well. So you can come up even with a, with a proposal for a professional that is, if you want, more, more, more uh, defensive and would only take a very well-paid job yeah, by paying very well for that position. Yeah? And uh, I think this is, this is it. But I think this probably I learned this from my first boss many years ago, that uh, people, don't, people are different and people don't expect the same from their leadership. And you have to understand what's, what's important for, for the people, not what you think is important for the average. The average doesn't exist. And since you're talking about leadership and we, we covered a lot of these topics, I, I'm wondering, uh, was there some specific sources of inspiration? Like you had a mentor or maybe you read some specific books, you followed some author that had a big impact on the way you look at leadership? Yeah, that's very interesting. That's a very interesting question. Uh, yeah, I learned a lot from the people that I interacted with. Uh, I learned a lot from my bosses throughout my career while I had, while I had bosses. And, uh, and so uh, I think I, uh, my, my first boss that I, that I mentioned about was uh, this, uh, you know, that kind of, uh, I don't know, red meat eater, uh, Midwest American, uh, cutthroat, don't care about anything guy. And uh, I learned uh, from him the way to that that business is about money and that you have to make money and you know this it's this is of paramount importance uh, if you want to to keep the boat afloat and i hated him for not being human enough by my standards and then i was very lucky to meet um two guys funny enough that were both you know one was a corporate guy and the other one was an entrepreneur um, that were at the same time very successful business persons and uh, funny enough people with very strong religious beliefs and their life was not about building the business but their life was about serving the other people serving humanity and i think that it, at least as a as a as an espoused and believed purpose and i thought wow i mean these guys are able to to bring this to a whole new level and how interesting if by building you a new business, a new better business, you can help build a new, better new world. Uh -huh. That gives some purpose to everyone. So I tried to absorb as much of that as I could, uh, understanding that, you know, it's not there. It's not about the religion, it's about the purpose. So that's, you, you can do it even if you're not 
a religious person, like, like because I'm not. So, um, and um, then and th what I just said is like very inspirational and blah, blah, blah. but. When you start a startup, make sure that you have some people that you talk to that have done the the, um, the stuff that you're doing before. And there was a, there was a number of entrepreneurs that we have sought to interact with. Uh, the number of VCs, professional VCs that we have sought to interact with from the very beginning in order to calibrate our uh, hallucinations to become visions and our hubris to become realistic ambition. <laughs> and I think this, is, this, this was very useful. This was very useful and it's still very useful. Trying to get to meet people that have had similar challenges with you in the last five years or in the last 10 years and to try to get from them, how does this happen? How does this work? I think, you know, and I'll, I'll give you an example. It's, um, it's something that uh, we, at, at the beginning of, of uh, Fintech OS, um, there is a number of entrepreneurs that we have interacted with uh, in order to keep the, to, to, to understand how a VC-backed company works and what do ex VCs expect. We were somehow close through a net through a common network to Dan Lupu of early bird years before we raised money from early bird we were in touch with Dan Lupu seeking his advice on what do you think how would investor committee look at that what have you seen in the market that you know relied upon this approach or the other they've put us in contact with UiPath people to learn from them Dear UiPath people, what have you done when you were this size? We have sought some people from UiPath ourselves through the normal, through our natural network. So when you had, you know, on the people side, when you had this need, how did you hire? You don't have yet the resources to hire at that level. How do you bridge in between? It's a, so the, and the real, real life experience of people that has, have done stuff that is similar to your challenges that you have right now. And that it, it may be a hollow effect. What they have done might be wrong, but they were successful. <laughs> so, uh, and you may think it's, it's right because they were successful, but not, not necessarily. But even with that caveat, talking to more people that have, have gone through what you're going through, I think is an essential part of, 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 of figuring out how success is, looks like in your case and what uh, what you can see as early signs of success and what, you know, you can do in order to get into that success. Yeah, that's, that's the reason I'm also super happy to have people like yourself and all the other guests on the podcast to share stuff from your experience, from your journey, not something that you read in a book, but hey, this is what we did. Here are the lessons. And um, Sergio, I know you have to go very soon. Can we take one final question coming from the audience? I think it's a Brilliant way to, to wrap up this episode. It's coming sure. from Ibrahim Bashir. He's a great guy, founder, uh, very positive. His question is, how do you communicate your company goals and vision as your team grows? Okay. Um, one, one thing is that we don't... Communication is something that uh, suggests broadcast. So you sit somewhere 
and you instill in a big conference and a speech and a seven hour speech that passion in everyone and everybody buys into and say, oh, I haven't heard of something so smart in my life. And, um, you know, the reality is that it's not like that. It has to be communication both ways. So you have to build it with um, um, people. With, you have to build it with people. Now, how we do it, we keep close, we have monthly town halls, we have meetings face-to-face -face in groups. And when the company was smaller we, and the pandemic allowed, we had meetings face-to-face -face when it was possible. Um, there is a thing about setting the vision, and this is definitely your, your, your job as the entrepreneur, making that sure that you communicate and over-communicate that vision. But then make sure that the goals as such are something that are discussed in the team and you don't own 100% neither the vision nor the goals. Um, think people, you know, wh why do you love IKEA furniture? Well, maybe you don't love IKEA furniture, but there is something after you have struggled for two hours to assemble that bloody, bloody drawer, yeah, you kind of have a stake in it. And I think it's the same with the uh, goals and the vision of the company. You have a better stake if you feel that you're heard and, 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 and you have participated in. And this may be valid for your very top level executive board, but guess what? It's valid for the every other guy or lady through the organization. And they might actually have a bigger impact if they, if they believe in it and believing is buying into, is being part of, is being included when that happens. So, inclusion. Thank you so much, Sergio. And finally, uh, thank you so much for all the insights, all the lessons. Where could people find FintechOS, get in touch with you personally, uh, and, and you know, just, just see nice. what you guys can do for them? Yeah. Uh, there are a few offices. <laughs> In uh, uh, London, Bucharest, uh, uh, Craiova, New York, and Amsterdam. <laughs> I think these are the offices right now. Um, there is a website. There is a sergio.negut at fintechos.com. And I'm, uh, well, I'm, I'm happy to help. I'm happy to help, you know, considering that I'm still, you know, working 127.5% of my time in this firm. But I... <laughs> But I'm, 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 I'm willing to help. I think, I think there is a bigger goal here than building your company and building uh, uh, whatever product that is revolutionizing that industry. And that is about creating communities that can help each other into being, making a better world for everybody. Um, and I'm not talking about that idealistic love everybody kind of uh, uh, world, but I'm talking about a world where we can, you know, constantly take this civilization forward. Hmm? Sounds big. But if we all do a small part in this and we can create this uh, semi-multi-level marketing thing where I help you and another seven guys and they help some other seven guys to build some more value, like true value, that people can use, that people can pay for, hey, we would have also made some money, we would have also lived successful lives, and we would have created a slightly better world, which I hope we can 
also contribute. What a powerful message. And those of you, thank you so much for listening, for all the listeners. And yeah. if you want to do your little part, and if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share with a friend to get them inspired as well. Uh, the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major platforms. Sergio, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much and keep on doing what you do with takeaways. Thank you, Stan. You keep on doing what you're doing. You're doing it very well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Thank you guys for listening. And if you're looking for somebody to help you step up your team performance and boost your productivity, make sure to check out stoyanyankov.com for online workshop solutions and programs designed to help you go through the current situation in a smoother manner. Stay safe and keep moving forward.